My name is Megan Brett Hamilton, and I'm the host of the podcast Honeybee Connection by MB, where I talk about language, culture, communication, and identity. At the end of my conversation with my guests, I ask them five questions. I ask them the same five questions. Here's what they said. So now, MB's five for the hide. You weren't able to uh, prep for this. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's okay, here we go. I'm ready. <clears throat> Number one, how do you define race? And what race or races do you identify with? Cool. Okay. Um, I will say race is defined by someone that has just a different, um, by the different cultural background. I guess it's defined by cultural background. Um, that's something that you are born into, not something that you um, can adopt on your own. Um, so I myself, I was born Asian. I am Asian American, um, but I'm also Jewish. So some people, especially among Jews, they were you define their they define their races. Well, I'm Jewish. Um, I define that as a religion, not as a race. Um, but I think it depends on who you ask. So for me, I'm an Asian American Jew. Um, I'm married to an Irish Catholic. Um, but it is what it is. And for me, the race is defined, you know, as the cultural background that they were born from. That sounds like a fun house. <laughs> Time. Yes. Okay. Number two, what is the right way to speak? Hmm. I would say that the right way to speak would be um, talking in a way that whoever you're talking to understands what you're saying or that they are listening. And um, so maybe not yelling or, um, uh, not so much the intonation of the voice, but even the content that you're giving it to them or the delivery that you're giving so that they understand what you're saying. But um, for me, I just want to be heard. I know that depending on the audience, I talk differently when I'm um, giving professional presentations versus where I'm gabbing on the phone with a friend or when I'm hanging out at a restaurant with um, girlfriends versus you know quiet time alone at home with my husband. Um, so the audience, I definitely think, plays a, a role in how we speak to each other. But um, I think that that's tweaked based on um, who we're talking to and how we want to be heard. So I don't know that there's any right or wrong way to do it. It's just sort of acclimating to your surroundings and um, figuring out the best way for you to be understood. All right. I always pick the right people to talk to. Okay. <laughs> So then how would you describe the way you speak? You kind of just gave that answer with the, first, the last one, but is there like a word or two that you would describe how you speak? Um, I would say blunt or honest. And then um, I try to be succinct. You know, I try to, I just want to get my point across and that'd be it. <laughs> I like it. I want to be honest, uh, you know, and uh, candid and, and all of those things. So I, I would say that that's, I don't know if it's the way that that's the way that I talk, but that's how I want to communicate with people for sure. All right. Number four, what does your hair mean to you? My hair? <laughs> yes. Everyone always does is what? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, I actually just recently cut it off a couple weeks ago. It was actually down all like down my whole back. Um, I love my hair. And some people <laughs> recently, since I got my hair cut, they're like, oh, I just love your haircut. Like, I feel like I have mom hair. I'm not really sold on the haircut. I think I'm probably going to grow it back because I miss being able to pull it up and throw it back. But um, it's funny that you're asking this question because I honestly, when I pop these gray hairs uh, toward the end of uh, four months, I'll see more and more gray hairs popping up. And I say to my husband, I don't care about wrinkles. I don't care about other things, but I'm vain about my hair. I will spend good money to make those grays go away and to keep my hair the way I envision it needs to be. So I guess my hair, I mean, if I'm going to have any kind of vanity, it probably would be my hair because. That's awesome. <laughs> I've had gray hair since I was freaking 17, but no, I. You have not. Yes. Right yeah. here. No one can see it in the podcast and I will never show anyone else, but no, it's like right here. I got it when I was 17. It was just like a patch. And then I just, you know, and, and now I'm 42. What would it be? 42, 43. <laughs> I'm like, how old are we? Um, okay. Number five, you're doing awesome. Why do you think some people have a hard time learning how to read? Hmm. Do you mean like as an adult or as a child, like when they're first learning how to read? Oh, now you got to make questions for me. Let's say child. Let's say child. Um, I think that for learning how to read, it need, that they're not, I think the children who are resistant to learn how to read or are not able to pick it up as quickly as, you know, maybe their classmates or other um, children the same age is because they're not, um, maybe able to learn in the same way that it's delivered to everybody else. Um, I actually did work for our, um, for my son's elementary school for one school year. I took a break from healthcare after I worked for a company for nine years and working in the school system, I was a paraprofessional. So I did um, reading and math intervention for um, uh, special education kids. And my um, my lesson plan for each child was different, not even each class or each grade that I walked into and pulled kids out of, but each child was completely different because what motivated them and, um, the way that they learned was different for each one. So what worked, you know, on a, a reward system for one was different for this one who needed, um, worksheets to take home for them to work on for us to talk about the next day. Um, making it a game for someone to learn, you know, to time them on picking up words or using sight words, things like that was different for this one who needed to sound something out. So I think, you know, I, my, I always say that teachers are the most underpaid, it's the most underpaid profession. Like they don't, they just don't get enough credit for all that they do in caring for our children. And to be able to find, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges with the school system is being able to find the time and the resources to um, deliver um, education in a way that is um, going to be the most effective for that child, because not everybody learns in the same way. Um, we're, we see that as adults picking up different job duties and job tasks um, in, in professional life is different for everybody because of the way that they learn. It's the same with children. I think that that is, you know, when, especially when we were children, um, it wasn't as sensitive of a topic. Like there wasn't enough sensitivity to understand that children have to be um, 
taught it differently. Some just are outside the box. So I think for the children who don't pick it up um, as quickly, it's uh, just finding sort of another route to get them to the end goal. And um, I think that, you know, there have been a lot of great strides with uh, education reform um, that have, you know, added resources to the school system to, you know, sort of get those children, you know, better where they need to be. But there's still some work that needs to be done. But I think that that's what the biggest roadblock is from what I've seen. Thank you for your experiences. Wow. Yeah. All right, Lisa. Well, that is it. Um, we are signing off from MB's Five for the Hive. And thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me.